Mark chapter 10 for a few minutes. And I really do mean just a few minutes. But a few minutes to me might not be a few minutes to you. Amen. But I will try to be brief because I know a lot of you are tired. I was talking to someone this morning said they put in uh, 16 hours one day around here on the decorations. And so, um, and I know the ladies were here to about 9 o'clock last night and some men. And I appreciate appreciate this lighthouse. Amen. I think I'm going to use that as an illustration during the message. We don't want that to go to waste, Brother Joel. And so we'll, we'll use it. Amen. Mark chapter 10, please. Um, and we're going to start with verse 13 through 16. I'm going to lay it on the line and do it quick tonight. And um, that's an old joke. But let the children come to me is the title of the message. And folks, I believe it's a precious time uh, in Vacation Bible School, the Master Club, Sunday School, uh, wherever you might be to reach children with the gospel. Let's stand on the Word of God. Verse 13, uh, Mark chapter 10. Says, and they brought young children unto him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And I hope it was their parents. Might have been some bus captains. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms. What a picture. He took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And then it goes into the story about the young, the rich young ruler, which is the opposite of salvation, because this man came by works, and this children come by faith. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for childlike faith, not childish faith. God, we don't think it's immature or we don't think it's unwise to be put all our faith and trust in Thee. And Lord, we know that we need to come to You as dear children. And so Lord, give us childlike faith tonight. God, help us to depend upon You, trust You, rely upon You as a child relies upon their parents. And God, we're going to praise You and thank You for teaching us what children mean to You. And they ought to mean the same to us. And so, Lord God, please bless and use uh, this message. Thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. Thank you, dear God, for the privilege of just being here in this good congregation tonight. In Jesus' name, please bless this message to our hearts. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, Jesus has just finished teaching about the very serious matter of marriage and divorce. And as soon as the discussion is finished, Jesus turns his attention to some little children that are being brought to him by their parents. It was a Jewish tradition uh, to bring small children to a great rabbi so that he could bless them and pray for them. It was also common for parents to take their children to the synagogue where each of the elders would take the child in his hand and pray for the life of that child. This is much the same as we still do when we dedicate children to the Lord and really dedicate parents to the Lord. And so these parents were severely rebuked by these disciples sometimes that were just out of touch. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with some of them, but they just didn't listen or they just didn't have the heartbeat of God and they got right 
thank God, after the resurrection. But he told the disciples in no uncertain terms that little children were what the kingdom of heaven was all about. And that we ought to all come to Jesus like dear children. And so right after he uh, teaches on marriage, that two shall be one, and um, children are results of that sometimes, and the Bible says in Psalms 127.3, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And uh, folks, we ought to be blessed to have a lot of children right here. I know the furniture would last longer. I know the carpet would be cleaner. Uh, but folks, um, we thank God that we can be a church. It's not a mausoleum, but a rescue mission. A lighthouse, amen? Uh, the average... Uh, and I want to tell you something, friend. The American family's in trouble today. Uh, and uh, folks, it's affecting this generation in a very severe way. Uh, husband and wife married with children uh, from this union is less than 25% of all marriages in America. Less than 25% of the marriages, one husband, one wife, married with children. That is sad. The average man marries at the age of 29, uh, and the average woman marries at the age of 27. In my day, that was really late. My grandmother was married when she was 14, or, and, but they grew up quicker back then, amen? And my grandfather was 16. God help him. I bet they didn't get permission. They probably eloped. But uh, the, average, the average man marries at 29. Uh, I recommend marriage. The Bible says that you ought to, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. I don't know about that good thing, but it's a good person, amen? And it's a good thing to be married, and I love it. And I thank God that I have a wife uh, to go home to every night. About 60% of all marriages uh, uh, end in divorce in America. And when you get married before 18, it jumps up to 65%. People that live together before marriage... The divorce rate soars. Only 21% that live together will still be married after five to seven years of marriage. So you can do your little trial thing if you want to, but it's sin, and God does not bless sin. God com blesses commitment. God blesses covenant relationship, amen? And this prenuptial and this uh, shacking that's going on in America, uh, and it's rampant, and it's promoted by Hollywood, is not of God. I think I need to preach that more often. The Harris Poll asked college students if they agreed having a close-knit family is their greatest desire. And 90% of all college students said, I agree that marriage that lasts is my greatest desire. 80% um, of all children are living without a dad in America. That's sad. The research states that the harsh correlation between poverty, gang participation, drugs, drink, abuse, the top ten things that destroy young people's lives are related to homes where father is absent. God has a blueprint. And that blueprint's a covenant relationship. It's an umbrella of God's protection. And folks, I believe with all my heart that one of the uh, if one of your parents were divorced, the probability of you having divorced jumps 69%. If you have both of your parents have been divorced, the odds are tripled and goes up to 189% chance 
that you'll have a divorce. 40% of all Americans think that marriage is obsolete. In, Amer in Europe, they almost completely have done away with the term marriage. So we're in trouble. And I want to tell you why we're in trouble, because we have shook our fists at God and says, we got a better plan. It's not Adam and Eve, it's Adam and Steve. Uh, we can change our sex, we can change our gender, we can change everything because we're on God. And I want to tell you something, what the Lord's saying, bring the children to me. And I believe that's what every church ought to have is their heartbeat, is to go out here and rescue the perishing, care for the dying, because, friend, I'm going to tell you something, they're in homes that are broken, they're in homes that are uh, full of sin and abuse, and they need Jesus. I want to give you three things real quick, uh, three lessons. Number one, there's a lesson about service. Uh, the passage clearly reveals certain responsibilities that both the parents and the church has towards the children, and that's to get them to Jesus. Number one, we serve our children. We love our children by evangelizing them. The greatest blessing you have is a mom or daddy that, that uh, believes in the word of God and that believes in the house of God and believes in the gospel power, the power of the gospel. Amen? And we need to evangelize children. We need to go after those. 19 out of uh, 20 folks before the age of 25 got saved. After that, it's uh, astronomical. I'll give you the statistics in a minute. But um, first of all, we need to evangelize them. Parents should care enough about their children to bring them to the house of God. Parents should care enough to get them under the sound of the gospel. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians 6, 4. Right after uh, Ephesians chapter 5, of course, we see the great chapter on being filled with the Spirit of God. And one of the evidence is a godly marriage. A godly marriage. A marriage that... Uh, ministers and gives and by the grace of God, as I preached on Wednesday night. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, folks, I want to tell you this. That means you care for them. Um that you're responsible for them and that your primary purpose is to see that immortal soul go to heaven one day and not hell. Your children are going to live forever in heaven or hell. And uh, all these children that ride the bus, they're either going to go to heaven or hell. And we need to realize that. Uh, this Gallup survey, 19 out of 20 people who became Christians did so before the age of 25. At age 25, 1 in 10,000 will become believers. At 35, 1 in 50,000. At 45, 1 in 200,000. And after 55, 1 in 300,000. And at 75, 1 in 700,000 people will be saved. Now that's the statistics. And folks, we need to serve our children by evangelizing our children. And then number two, we need to love our children, serve our children by educating our children. Notice the word nurture, nurture in this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them in the nurture of the Lord. Amen? Nurture means the whole training. It means the whole education. It means make much of Jesus. It means train them up in the way that they should go. And the only way to train up a child the way he should go is walk that way first. 
But we have a problem. There's a lot of fathers that are provoking their children to wrath, and they're absent. They're not, they're missing. They're deadbeat, they won't even pay child support. And folks, I want to tell you something. These children are full of wrath and bitterness, heartache. And they don't, they don't have a standard. They don't have a lighthouse. Um, we serve children by uh, being responsible to educate them in the things of God. We bring them to the foot of the cross. We bring them to the Word of God. And folks, they get a stability and they get a, uh, a standard, but they get a hope and they get a light to follow. And that love can come into their life and, and laughter and joy and peace that they'll never know unless they meet Jesus. It's an urgent call. We serve our children by encouraging them. Look at the Bible, it says in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, Ephesians, an admonition of the Lord. We encourage them. We ought to encourage our children. And the way to encourage them is to expose them to Jesus. He said, hey, get away from him. He's too important. He said, wait a minute. Suffer the little children to come to me. And so it says a lot about what God wants you to do with children. He wants you to bring them to Jesus. There's no greater blessing than a child to be saved and then to live their whole life for Christ. Earlier the better. D.L. Moody once returned from a meeting and reported two and a half converts. Two and a half conversions. Two adults and a child, I suppose, someone asked. His host, no, said Moody. Two children and one adult. The children gave their whole lives. The adult had only half of their life left. So he counted the whole, the children. And folks, I want to tell you something. We shouldn't give wilted roses to the master. After we're all wore out and, and um, old and out of energy, we need to be excited about the Lord. And folks, children are excited about the Lord. You'll see the excitement that, that fills this uh, sanctuary Monday through Friday. And then there's a lesson about salvation in this passage. Go back to Mark chapter 10. Uh, while the text certainly highlights every adult's responsibility, thank God there's a matter of salvation, what it implies. The fact that children are invited to come to the Savior implies that children need the Savior. Can I say that clearly? Children need a Savior because they're sinners. Uh, Psalms 58 verse 3. Turn to a few verses with me. I think I'll list them. Uh, Psalms 58, verse 3, please. I'm trying to condense this message. Psalms 58, verse 3, it says, The wicked are strange from the womb. They go astray as soon as they, are, they be born, speaking lies. You ever heard a baby cry when nothing was wrong? I ain't going to say that baby's a liar, but I'm going to say something. There's nothing wrong. They're just pitching a fit. They want their way. They're one of those pickup babies. You know what that means? They're going to cry till you pick them up. I'm tougher than that. I don't pick them up. Yeah, I do. Too. Pick them up every time. Psalms 51, verse 5, please. Psalms 51, verse 5. The Bible says this. 
Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. In my sins did my mother conceive me. He's confessing his sin, but he's also confessing the very nature of his sin. He's saying, hey, listen, this implies that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved by the grace of God as soon as possible. Children may possess a kind of innocence, but they stand in need of a Savior. I'll talk to you in a minute about how you know when they're ready to be saved. But I thank God for the lighthouse that stands on the hilltop of a parent that's godly and that has a, 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 a faith in God and, and uh, raises their children up to be godly. Reminded of illustration, many years ago, the captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw a faint light in the distance. And immediately told his uh, signal man to send a message. He said, After you, he says, alter your co course 10 degrees south. He message on the light system. And promptly a return message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. And soon another message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a seaman third class and my name is Jones. And immediately the captain sent a third message knowing the fear it would evoke. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Folks, I want to tell you something. We have a lighthouse. Amen. I just had to use that illustration whether it went with the message or not. I thank God for the lighthouse. I thank God for the word of God. You'll find out more about it next Sunday night. Say amen. And I want to tell you something, friend. This Bible is infallible, inspired, uh, it's not an altered lifestyle. It's the standard for living. Amen. Folks, I want to tell you something. This is the absolute truth. This is the ground and pillar of your faith. And this is the foundation for every marriage. It's the foundation for every child. It's the only hope our children have is to be saved by the word of God. Amen? I thank God for the word. I thank God we're not going to just give them fun games and we're going to do that. But thank God we have a, we have a lighthouse to give them. We have the light, the glorious light of the gospel. The main thing that this week is we got to get the gospel planted in these children's hearts. When you teach a lesson, it's not about you and it's not about being impressive and it's not about having just fun or being successful. It's planting the gospel. Simple, clear, plant the gospel. That's why parents and other adults must do all they can to bring children face to face with the claims of the gospel. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Amen? And then we, th we think about what it not only um, implies, but what does it involve? Teaching children <clears throat> how to be saved. Whenever a discussion comes up with childhood salvation, uh, someone always mentions the age of accountability. I don't like that term, the age of accountability. And for some reason, <clears throat> a lot of people say it's the age of 12 because Jesus went to the temple at the age of 12. That has nothing to do with salvation because Jesus didn't have to be saved, number one. He is the Savior, and he soon convinced those scribes and Pharisees how much he knew about God and the Word of God. I'd rather say it's the age of decision. 
It's the age of decision. Might be better than the age of accountability. So when is that age? Well, it's different. And I'll tell you why it's different. Because it's different about how the children receive it, but also how much they've been exposed to it. My children were exposed to the Word of God in the womb. Uh, they heard the Word of God uh, the time they were conceived. And so it's no wonder that uh, they got saved at a very young age. Very, four, five, six, seven, I forget now. That's, just, that's terrible. But they were young, amen? Very young. And uh, we were very careful. But, you know, some people, such as those that are severe mentally handicapped, may never come to that place of decision. And I want you to know that they're safe in the arms of God. God's not going to send them to hell because they can't make a decision. When you reach a place in your life where you understand that you're a sinner, where you understand that you're going to hell because of your sins, and where you understand that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead to save you, you need to be saved. You need to come to Jesus to be saved. Parents, just because your children are young, do not assume that they are, they do not need to be saved. Uh, children grow up quick these days, and you might question them, and I'm going to give you four questions you ought to ask every child. But they know more about sin than we, we ever knew about sin. They've been exposed to more sin than we have. That doesn't make them uh, at the age of decision, but I'm telling you, friend, they know what sin is. And uh, But a, a child that does not know what sin is and does not realize that they're making a choice or rejecting a Savior, they're not old enough to be saved. Not old enough to be saved. You can pray all the prayers you want to with them. Uh, folks, you can uh, give the sad stories and get responses. They'll think Jesus is coming into their pump heart. Jesus is coming into their life. And I want you to understand that we need to take time to ask some questions. When Jesus was witnessing to the, the lady at the well, he witnessed with questions. He, he had to let her realize, he knew where she was at, knew all about her, but had to let her realize that she needed him and that he was the Savior and that she was a sinner. Because believe it or not, some people live like the lady in, uh, by the well, and they don't call it sin, they call it Status quo. Sin is a problem today when people don't realize they're a sinner. And so first of all, I think you ought to ask the question, and this is completely, and there's probably 16 more questions you could ask them. And by the way, this is not an intellectual contest because some children don't respond to questions. I was a very terrible tester in school. I made all A's, made a C in, one C in all of high school because I took typing to be with all the cheerleaders. And um, I didn't know how to type. I used that more than ever. I had 15 over four errors. And I mean, you know, one time in a speed contest, the little cartridge went to the end and I raised my hand and said my typewriter was broke. And the teacher hit that little lever. Now we don't have that, Amen. Praise God. You want to know how old I am? We used to type with ribbon uh, going through the little clicker. Amen? Y'all remember that? Amen? The ribbon got uh, faded. Oh, okay. So anyway. 
But uh, I'm going to give you a few questions. Number one, you ought to ask the child, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Now, a lot of people are going to give you, well, you know, it means justified, thrill-filled, satisfied, and you're righteous, praise God, and, and you take uh, his sin and he... Uh, uh, you take, uh, he'll take your sin and, and I'll take his righteousness and it's imputed and transferred to my account. If you're looking for a question from a five or six-year-old on that, they'll never be saved. They'll never get uh, uh, well-versed enough to be saved. But you ought to ask them, what does it mean to be saved? They want to be saved, so they ought to know what it means to be saved. Number two, why do you feel that you need to be saved? Why do you, need, why do you feel you need to be saved? And we're not looking for a canned answer. We're looking for Holy Ghost conviction. Number three, can you explain to me how a person gets saved? Can you explain to me how a person gets saved? I mean, if they haven't been on the sound of the gospel enough to realize how to be saved, what in the world they want to be saved for? I think you ought to teach them and teach them and repeat it and teach them again how to be saved. Every Sunday, every uh, opportunity, there ought to be an invitation. There ought to be a presentation of the gospel, the glorious light of the gospel ought to be presented in their little hearts. And then last but not least, and this is the clicker and this is the, this is the key, can you explain to me what sin is? Now, I've had people respond that they, they don't even know what sin is. They have no idea. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's many other questions, but it comes back to this. Are they under Holy Ghost conviction? And they'll know what they need to know. And they'll know what they need to do. Some people are all against leading a child in a sinner's prayer. And I believe it's best if they'd pray their little prayer and you could guide them in the prayer. I think it's best. I've not seen many children that knew how to put it. And so I make it real easy with them and I make it real easy on adults. I say, listen, I'll, I'll pray a prayer and you repeat it after, but it's better if they'll pray their own prayer. And sometimes if they don't know enough to pray a prayer, uh, you know, Lord save me, it will save them. But folks, you don't have to know all the facts. You just need to know that you're a sinner, that he's a savior, and you've got a choice. Is that simple enough? You've got a choice. And I want to tell you something, a child that does not know that he has a choice, he's not at the age of decision. Don't push him. Don't make him get saved. Don't force him to get saved. And definitely don't get him saved so you can come down and brag about it. You had 15 saved in your class. I've seen some people take advantage of children. And I'm going to tell you what the harm of that is. It's about five or six years from then, they'll not even have a clue what they did or why they got saved, and they'll be full of doubt the rest of their life. Folks, listen, I'm not saying put it off. I'm saying be urgent about it. I'm saying... Be tearful about it. Be compassionate about it. But make sure they're at the age of decision. They can make a decision. What about a child who dies before the age of decision? Well, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David lost an infant son, and he said, I'm going to go be with him one day. And folks, I can't bring him back, but I can go be with him. I believe a child before the age of decision is safe. Amen? I don't believe God's going to send two-year-olds or babies in the womb to hell because they weren't old enough to walk an aisle and make a decision. They're safe. They're safe. The saving power of the atoning work of Jesus applied to them. When they die in that safe condition, 
Folks, I believe that sometimes it's merciful in these cult, pagan cultures when a lot of babies do go home early because they would have died and went to hell. But God brought them home early. Maybe that's why so many of them died. If they reach maturity in a pagan culture, they've had it most of the time, unless a missionary's there. And then C, I want you to realize this. What does it illustrate? Well, it illustrates the way that all sinners should be saved. Look at verse 36. And I believe right before the young rich ruler, and I, I've got to close this, but I, I, want, I want you to see this. If you've got any questions after, let me know. Um, probably the person to ask really is Miss Connie. She deals with more children than I've ever dealt with. Thank God for her. Verse 36 of Mark chapter 10, verse 37, uh, the Bible says, He said, and he said to them, What would we, you should we do for you? And they said, And it granted you that you sit one right hand, the other on the left, and people are looking for a place to be, uh, have accolades and have, uh, uh, no, I'm back in verse 16, I'm sorry. It says, And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them and blessed them. Folks, I want to tell you something. Children are humble. Children are trusting. And children are dependent. And I believe the whole lesson here is not necessarily of the age of decision or age of accountability. He said that we all must become as a child. You don't have to be an adult to be saved, but you've got to be like a child to be saved. Can I repeat that? You don't have to become adult-like if you're a child to be saved, but you definitely got to become childlike to be saved in your faith. You know what a child's faith's like? They're trusting. They're humble. They're dependent. You know what a child's like? A child don't worry about food. A child don't worry about clothing. A child don't worry about shelter if they have a daddy. Say Amen. They don't worry about who will pay the bills. Children don't doubt that their family members love them. Children simply accept the profound things by faith. They don't look beyond the obvious. They just believe. They just believe. Folks, the only way you're going to be saved is you just believe. Say amen. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the IQ. But what you have is you know God the Father will take care of you and that Jesus' blood is enough, the death, burial, and resurrection is enough, and when you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out, and most children believe that when they get saved. We adults is the one that second-guessed God. Was I really saved? Well, if you really, truly turned to Jesus, you were saved. Well, I don't know how I felt. Well, it don't matter how you felt. It's how much you had faith. And it can be simple, childlike faith. Humble yourself before God is how to be saved. Lay down your pride. And over all the things you've accomplished and all your works and all your abilities, sometimes real smart people go to hell trusting their intelligence. Real hardworking people and real moral people and real religious people go to hell because they're not willing to humble themselves as a dear child. He said, hey, listen, disciples, don't rebuke these children. Don't rebuke these parents, for such is the kingdom of God. This is how everybody must be saved. 
Now I need a watch for birthday. But anyway, listen, we we need to lay down our pride. We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we've sinned before God. We're born with a sinful nature. We must be willing to admit that works and religion can never save us. Matter of fact, I think it was Brother Mark said this on visitation yesterday, the religion can be the biggest hindrance of somebody being saved. Catholics all think they're saved. Religious people think they're saved. People who have been brought up in the Baptist church, they just know they're saved. Preachers' kids, they're hard to get lost because they think they've been saved. They know it all. But folks, we must humble ourselves and as a child simply look to Jesus in pure faith trusting that he will do everything that he has promised. What a contrast to verse 17 through 22. The young, rich ruler came on his terms, trusting in his pride, his self-righteousness, and his money. He left with all those possessions, and he left Jesus. As far as we know, he died and went to hell, trusting in himself. Trust, humility, dependence. Third of all, I'm just going to say this real quick and close. We have a lesson about the Savior. There's a lesson about service. We ought to get the children to Jesus. A lesson about salvation. We ought to be like children when it comes to Jesus. But we can see the Savior's heart. Folks, they brought him to Jesus. And the Bible says he had much displeasure when they were rebuked, he, he said he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Don't complicate salvation. Don't try to trace and figure out salvation. Just trust the Savior. It's not what you do, it's what he did. He did. And folks, he will no wise cast you out. And by the way, he wants you to be saved a lot more than you want to be saved. So why is he going to make it hard and you have to go through hoops to get saved? It's simple. It's simple. I'm going to tell you why it's simple. Here's the fact. Jesus loves the little children. He loves them. Matter of fact, look at Mark chapter 9, verse 42. That's what I was trying to go to just a while ago. It says Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Whew. Saying, parents, you, you, you stand in the way of your children being saved, or religionists, you stand in the way of these children being saved, and you say the bus kids ain't welcome, and, and we got to be more dignified and refined. And, and uh, folks, it, it, it says it's better for you to just drown. Jesus elevated children to a place of precious importance. Children held a special and still hold a special place in his heart. He rejoices in one sinner. All of heaven rejoices in one sinner. But I believe Jesus is very pleased when somebody comes to him on the basis of pure grace. Jesus loves lost sinners. Revelation 22, verse 17. The last invitation of the Bible, come, come. The bride says come. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Those are great truths. Those are saving truths. We can see the Savior's hand. He laid His hand on them and blessed them. He cares. And by the way, He's able to save to the uttermost. And He's able to look at the little heart of a child. Maybe doesn't have all the answers, but you know they're under Holy Ghost conviction. Parents, when should you lead them to the Lord? It's when you know that God's drawing them. They've been asking questions over and over again. They can't rest at night because they're under conviction. And I'm not talking about some emotion. I'm just talking about they're aware of their need for a Savior. And they've been taught that their Savior loves them and died for them and will receive them if they'll only believe. Father, use this message. We know your grace is sufficient. We thank you, God, for this few verses to show how blessed these little children were. First, to be brought to Jesus. Lord, what a blessing it is to have a bus ministry, a van ministry, a master club ministry, a Sunday school ministry with a focus on little children. But God, help us to not have a focus on just the little children. God, may we have the focus on a great Savior that loves little children. God, thank you that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And thank you for this passage that says, Suffer, allow the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom. With every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you know some little child that you need to get on the sound of the gospel? I mean, the parents, they don't have them in Sunday school regularly. Their mama's too busy with her career. The daddy's too busy with their fishing trips. They're all, they're just neglected as far as the things of God. And I want to tell you something. You're their uncle. You're their grandparents. You're their neighbor. Uh, You're their uh, friend. I'll tell you what, the greatest friend a child has is somebody that will risk the chance and go to that house and say, Mom and Daddy, would you please let me take little Johnny to the vacation Bible school? We have wonderful crafts, and we even serve supper, and, and they have a great time. And then, of course, they're introduced to Jesus. And that's what it's all about. I mean, know somebody, maybe not in your family, but in your school, in your workplace, a friend, a relative, a neighbor that has a child, and they're neglecting that child because they're not bringing him to the foot of Jesus. And you need to help rescue that child and bring him to Jesus. Would you raise your hand on their their behalf? Children, families, not in church. I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it kindly. The only reason they're not in church is because the parents are a hindrance. Because I'm telling you, every child loves to come to church before the age of seven. But after about eight, nine, ten, and when they get teenagers, they get a lot like their parents. You can't even pull them into church. Oh, when they're little, 
They know that they need to be in church. They know that Jesus loves them. There's a draw in their heart towards the things of God. And if we can only get them, if we can only find them, if we can only rescue them, if we can only love them to the feet of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the message. I pray it's been appropriate. And Lord, I pray it's been helpful for this coming week. I'm not up here just to preach. I want it to be applicable. I want it to be where we can use it this week, where we can remember and have faith pick up our corner of the bed. We can, Lord, introduce these children to the glorious Savior that saved our unworthy soul and tell them the way they're coming to Jesus is the way you came to Jesus, by childlike trust. We'll praise you and thank you for what you do in Jesus' name.